Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. Revelation chapter 19, I'm going to read a pretty significant portion of scripture, and I debated whether I was going to read all this or not, but there's something about the Revelation, you just need to read it. You just need to read it. So I'm just going to take the time to read that, and I hope you all will understand, and not just understand, I hope you'll enjoy it um, as we read it. So you'll follow along. We'll be beginning in Revelation chapter 19. We're going to pick up after that magnificent scene of Jesus coming back. Jesus is coming back in all of his power, and that's in verses 11 through 16. We're going to be picking up right after that, and we're going to be invited to a pretty gruesome dinner, just to be honest about it. We're going to get invited to a pretty gruesome dinner. And then whatever you think of this world system, whatever you think of the devil, and you, whatever you think of everything, the wheel's going to run off of it right now as we're about to read. And the Lord is going to take control and show this world who he really is. I just want you to see that. Think about that as we're about to read. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand, to stand with me out of reverence for the reading of our Lord's words. We believe these are not a man's opinion. We believe this is literally the word of God, and we're going to listen to it as such. We begin in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 17. We'll read to the end of chapter 20. Here's what the scripture says. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant that were slain with the, were slain with the horse, or excuse me, the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth. And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they that sat, they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. Which had, not been, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, nor had received his mark on, upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. 
Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years were expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison, and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and the fire came down from heaven, came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, who, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. And there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is, in the, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray and ask God to honor his word. Father, thank you for your clear, pure, true word. I pray, Lord, that we will hear it. I pray that your Holy Spirit will come and give understanding to those that sit here, to this preacher who attempts to share with them the truth that your word contains, that your word is. And I pray, God, that you will help us to not be deceived not be deceived by the devil, not be deceived by this world, and not be deceived by our own hearts. Lord, help us to listen to you, to follow after Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I believe there's no greater lie than has ever been told than this. It's all going to work out in the end. I've said that before. It's all going to be okay. It'll all work itself out. It'll come out in the wash. There's all kinds of versions of that we use. Sometimes it ain't so. <laughs> That's, you know how that is. Sometimes that ain't true. It doesn't work out in the end sometimes. Sometimes it gets worse. And I guess in one sense of thinking about it, it does all work out eventually. But what we seem to suggest by saying it's going to work out in the end is that it's going to work out and be good the way we want it to work out. That's what we, what we mean by that. We're saying that the way I want things to end is the way it's going to end. My guy's going to win, and the other guy's going to be shown for the liar that he is. I believe that this is what we're saying. We're saying that the, the bad guys are going to get theirs, whatever I define the bad guys to be, because their bad guys are never my guys. That's always their guys. You understand that. I'm not the bad guy. They are. Uh, the good guys are always going to finish first. I did everything I could. Nobody's going to figure out that I did that thing back then that nobody knew I did when I did it. And the good I'm doing is always going to outweigh the bad I'm doing. These are the thoughts that we have. 
My good intentions have to mean something, don't they? My hopes and dreams are going to come true. There really is a Santa Claus. I mean, all kinds of stuff. We just want to tell ourselves all this stuff, don't we? We want to tell, our stuff, tell ourselves these things. And as a, I'll just t- confess to you, I'm a, I want to be optimistic, see the good in all people kind of person. That's the kind of person I want to be. I don't want to think that you are, uh, uh, that you are sinful or ugly or, or twisted or wicked. I don't want to, and I definitely don't want to think that about myself. But the Bible doesn't allow us to think that kind of foolishness. And I'm just going to call it for what it is. It's ultimately foolishness. We're deceiving ourselves. It doesn't allow us the luxury of closing our eyes and just sort of holding on and hoping for the best. What I want to do this morning for you, and I believe this is exactly the intention of these few verses that we just read, is to open your eyes, if they're not already open, to a very cold and a very hard and a very painful reality. If I have no other purpose on this planet as a preacher in a church, as a preacher of the gospel, it is to turn your attention to the realities of the world that throughout the week that the television doesn't want you to see, that your books don't want you to see, that your own mind wants you to be turned off to. I'm going to try to, from the scriptures here, show you that the end is near. It's closer than we ever thought, nearer than it ever was. And when that comes, there's going to be some things that that come to bear that we need to be prepared for. Don't be deceived. There are people, there are systems, there are demonic forces who want you to do nothing but to go la, 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 and not worry about anything. And I want you to wake up for just a minute and pay attention to what is going on according to the Scripture. I should also just stop off here and say, what I'm trying to show you is what the Bible says. Now, if you don't believe the Bible, I can't help you. Because everything I'm going to say presupposes that this is God's word and that God is going to tell us the truth. If you don't believe that, I'm sorry, I can't help you. You're going to make up your own source of authority. But everything I'm about to tell you is what God has said to us, and I want to show you this from his word. First thing I need to tell you is we're introduced to a couple of characters in here. If you don't know much about the revelation of Jesus Christ, you might be a little confused by it, so I should call, call your attention to them. There's mention of a false prophet and a beast, and of course Satan and the dragon. You hear those names kind of thrown around there. We understand that in the Revelation there's what sometimes is referred to as an unholy trinity that shows up in the end of times. And there's these three people, three characters, if you want to use that term. Uh, there is the, the beast, the beast. Uh, sometimes we would refer to him as the Antichrist. You may have heard that term. He's the one, that political figure who would rise up and would control governments. In a, in, a, in a certain sense, I believe that there's an intention of the Scripture that that, while there's certainly a person in mind, that person represents the political systems of this world. Political, whether it's voted politicians or monarchs or dictators, doesn't matter. I believe that person really represents those political systems of the world. He's also introduced to us in Revelation chapter 13. You will see him there as the beast of the sea, if you want to go look into that. He's the beast of the sea that comes out of the sea in Revelation 13. The second part of that unholy trinity is the false prophet. The false prophet is the the beast of the earth that comes out in Revelation chapter 13. 
the false prophet in every way I can tell you that it, it while it's certainly a person, it's a certain individual, a, a specific de- entity that, that does exist, uh, he also represents the false religion that's always existed on this earth. There's always a religion, all the way back to Cain and Abel, that wants to bring itself up and present itself as against God. And we see him introduced in this passage, or brought up again, rather, in this passage. There's a third, which we also see in this passage, is he's the dragon. Now, he's, he's unveiled. His mask is taken off in this passage. We understand him to be the devil himself, Satan. You see that in Revelation chapter 20, I think it's verse 2 there. He is Satan himself. If you were to go back to Revelation 13, you see that beast of the sea and the beast of the earth coming out, and you see in both cases there is one power behind them, and that power is the dragon, Satan. He's the one that is fueling all of this. You've got this this political system that's corrupt, you've got this religious system that's corrupt, and there's one power behind it, and that's the devil himself. We're also, uh, for full disclosure, for, for, for just sort of describing the whole scene too, there is another uh, power that shows up early on in chapter 19. It's referred to using the King James translation. It says that it's the great whore that is referred to there. It's this terrible economic system, Babylon, this terrible economic system that will do anything for a dollar, including killing somebody. And that's what that, that person is. And it's interesting, uh, she's already been defeated by this point. Revelation chapter 19, the lamb has defeated the, the Babylon. He's already defeated that economic system. She was already being used by the prophet and the beast and the dragon, being used by them to do their bidding, but the, the lamb has already come along and he has already defeated them. But what we're introduced to in this passage as we open it up in verse um, 17 is a prediction is made. There's an angel there that calls out and it says, listen, birds, y'all are about to give some dinner. There's about to be a whole bunch of people here and you're about to be ready to feast on them. It's a gruesome scene. At this point in, in chapter 19, verses 17 and 18, it's merely a prediction of what would come. But what happens is, as these others, the verse 20, the beast and the false prophet they come, or rather in verse 19, excuse me, the beast and the false prophet, they come together to make war against the Lamb, war against Jesus Christ himself. They've come together to, for gathering for this war. And what happens when they come up against them? You see there in verse, uh, verse 20, the beast was taken, and the false prophet that wrought miracles before him when he was with, with which he deceived them that he had received in the mark of the beast and that worshipped his image. He says that these systems, these people, yes, but these systems are going to be destroyed by the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is going to take this over. When Jesus Christ comes back, he will take them, as he says there in verse 20, and cast them alive in the lake of fire, lake of fire burning with brimstone. It's an immediate conviction, sentencing, and judgment that happens immediately upon coming back. He doesn't put them on trial. He doesn't put them in a holding tank. He just says, listen, they're done. What I need you all to see with all this, I've just tried to explain it to you so you know that I'm not just basing this on my opinion here. I want you to see how it worked together. But let me make this assertion for you. Every system, every human system that exists, your finances, your government, your religious systems, every one of these that attempts, and every one of them do, that attempts to put themselves over Jesus Christ himself 
They will be defeated. They will be destroyed. They will fail you. Do you know people, yourselves included, I would be willing to guarantee you, we put our faith and our trust in our government. We put our faith and our trust in our banks. We put our faith and our trust in, in this world's system. We even put our faith and our trust in our religious leaders. We do, do we not? And you'd be a fool to say, I don't. If you're that one person, I'd like to meet you because I think we all do this. But I need you to see that when Jesus comes back, he gives them their unrighteous reward, as 2 Peter says in chapter 3 and verse 13. He gives them immediate conviction, sentencing, and judgment. And here's what I need you to see with all of that. Don't align yourselves with these losers. These guys are going down. I'm telling you now, they're going down. Do not align yourselves with these losers. There's people that do. And look what happens to them. Look at verse 21. And the remnant, this is the people that were with the beast and the false prophet. There they're gathered. They have been deceived. They think that this political system and this religious system, they believe they've got the answers. And what happens to them? They were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Who is it talking about? We've already been introduced to him in chapter 19 verses 11 through 16 and this is Jesus Christ none other than the Messiah of the world who has a sword the word of God proceeding out of his mouth he says there that with that sword which proceeded out of his mouth he he slain they are slain by him that with the sword and then what happens all of the fowl were filled with their flesh can I just go ahead and tell you, just as plain as I know how, if you align yourself with the political systems of this world, the economic systems of this world, the religious systems of this world, you are just signing up to be dinner for a bunch of vultures. That's what you're signing up to do. You need to see that. That's what's going to happen. This is, by the way, not out of thin air. God's not just saying, well, I'm mad at him, so I'm going to do this. No, he said all the way back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you want to mark this down, verses 25 through 37, he told the people of Israel, he said, listen, you want to follow after the things of this world? You want to reject me? You want to follow after what everybody else is doing? You want to follow their religion? You want to follow their politics? You want to do that? Well, you're going to be in a position where you can run, but you're not going to hide. You're going to be, literally, he says, you're going to be picked clean by the birds. He says, you're going to get unmentionable diseases. He says, you're going to lose your mind, you're going to lose your way, you're going to lose your stuff, you're going to lose your freedom, you're going to lose your home, you're going to lose your livelihood, you're going to lose your family, you're going to lose your strength, you're going to lose your legacy. You're going to end up as a bad example. Can y'all think of some bad examples in history that are bad examples? I can think of two that are in the Bible, practically. Sodom and Gomorrah pretty bad example who wants to sign up to be the next Sodom and Gomorrah I hope nobody in this room wants to raise their hand if you know that story how it ended up fire and brimstone Rome yes there's a city called Rome but the Roman Empire which was the superpower of its day no longer exists it does not and there are many others that have been in its wake, in history's wake over the years because what God says is if you want to follow after this world's political systems, this world's financial systems, this world's religious systems, I'm going to take it down. And I'm trying to get you all to see, don't 
be deceived. Your hope is not in your bank account. Your hope is not in some preacher who stands in a pulpit. And I'm talking about this one that's talking to you now. Your hope is not in me. Your hope is not in anybody you see on television that writes books. That's not who your hope is in. And your hope sure had better not be in some man who's in the White House or some woman who's running for it. Your hope should not be in these people. Your hope is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is going to take down all that stand against him. As I mentioned, the dragon's behind every bit of this. We're introduced, reintroduced, I should say, to the dragon there in verse 2. He is the dragon that's been behind evil really from the beginning, which is why I think that parenthetical thought there says that the angel lays hold of the dragon. This is in verse 2 of chapter 20, that old serpent. Y'all remember how we're, how we're introduced to Satan in the Bible? Genesis chapter 3, he's a snake slithering around, deceiving people, telling Eve, it's, it's okay, you do what you want to do. He's the power behind that beast, that political system. He's the power behind the prophet, that religious system. He's the power behind Babylon, the great whore, that, that economic system. He is the power behind all of that. He's the puppet master behind the strings, trying to get us all to do what we want. He wants us to dance to his beat. That's what he's trying to get us all to do. But I find it, y'all got to at least find this, at least a, there's a, there's a little part of you that's got to find this just mm, good. That devil that y'all ain't got to say amen, but gives you fits from time to time. That devil that gives you a problem every now and again, maybe a bigger problem than you want to admit, and I'm not asking you to admit it in front of all of us, but that devil that gives you a big old problem, I've got an angel here in verse 1 that's coming down with a big old chain. And he's got a key to the bottomless pit. And he lays hold of Satan and binds him up for a thousand years. Satan is now at the mercy of God Almighty. The accuser is now accused. The slave master is now enslaved. The warden is now imprisoned. This man who, this being who has locked people up and tortured people and hurt people and caused so much destruction on this earth, we now see him completely under the thumb of God Almighty. The image that comes to my mind, I don't know if y'all remember when they caught Saddam Hussein a few years back. Y'all remember this? This guy who'd been the boogeyman for so long, just this bad guy, been causing so many problems, and where do they find him? In a hole in the ground. Looked like the man hadn't eaten in, in, in weeks, definitely hadn't done any kind of personal grooming to speak of. He just comes rolling out of there, and they, they, he's in a hole in the ground. This is the way I think Satan is. In our minds, he's this big old bad creature, but he is absolutely under the thumb of the Lord God Almighty. Now, don't get me wrong. Peter warns us not to be presumptuous and think we can handle Satan. You can't handle him. You can't handle him. He's more than I can handle. He's more than you can handle. But he's not a problem for the Lamb. He's not a problem for our Savior. He's no problem for the God of the universe. The God of the universe is one day going to put him in his cage. He's going to lock him up and he's going to say, stay. 
You can't do anything right now. He's going to be completely on the Lord's timetable. We see here he's going to be locked up for a thousand years. And I think it's poetic justice. Of course, this is the Lord. He knows exactly what he's doing. But in a poetic justice move, those that Satan had attacked, Satan had tortured, Satan had killed, those that had lost their lives, their heads, in fact, for the faith. It says there in verses 4 through 6, in fact, in verse 4, excuse me, let's look at that. It says, they have these thrones, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither received his mark on their, on their foreheads or in their hands. They lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Remember what Jesus said back in the gospel? He said, the first shall be last and the last shall be Remember that? This is what he's talking about. Those people that on this earth, when we look at them, we say, man, they sure, they sure didn't do a whole lot. They were so young and they got killed. I don't know, they, 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 should, have, they should have maybe just been a little more quiet about their faith. Or, or you know, they, they just, nobody really thinks much about them. They just, they just follow after Jesus. Well, one day they're going to rule and reign. God's going to put them on a throne and he's going to put the devil in a cage. The Lord does give after these thousand years in, chapter, in verse 7. <clears throat> He gives Satan another attempt, another chance. I don't know exactly what God's thinking here with all this. It's fulfilling some promises in the Old Testament. I know that's part of it. But he does allow, he does allow Satan to get another chance. And in that process, in verse 8, you'll see, chapter 20, verse 8, that he goes out and he deceives the nations. And he goes and does what, if you're trying to attack somebody, what you'd want to do. Verse 9, he goes and surrounds the great city, which we understand to be Jerusalem. He surrounds that city with everybody that he's got. He's got every gun pointed at Jerusalem he can imagine. He's got them there. Seems like the, the end is near. I can just tell you right now, I mean, y'all have me surrounded and got guns and weapons and airplanes and everything pointed at me. I'm going to say, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. But you know what God does? God says, y'all just sit tight. Look what he says, verse 9. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. God literally said, poof, y'all are gone. You're done. You're devoured. He sends them fire. And one thing I want to show you about Satan's end, look at verse 10. The devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. So remember the beast and the false prophet, he's controlling them, he's working with them, he's the power behind the power, but he goes to the same place they do, and he, the devil, shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Please understand this about Satan. He's not the king of hell. He's not the queen of the night. He's not anything, some big old creature. He's none of those things. He's nothing special. He is just a rebellious, finite created and soon to be completely defeated being under the righteous thumb of God Almighty. You need to know this about the devil. What he's going to try to tell you is that he's got the answers and you need to listen to him. He's going to try to give you some direction in life and you're going to, like I do, sometimes say, oh wow, I didn't know that. I better do what you're telling me to do. You're going to listen to him and you need to not be deceived you need to not be in awe of his power. You need to be controlled by, you need to be in awe of one person. His name is Jesus Christ.
the one who is going to triumph over the devil himself. I, I know we can we get all these pictures. It's, it's about to be Halloween time, and you get all these movies on television about all how you know the the demonic stuff and how scary it is. And I understand it's it's powerful. I get all that. The reality is powerful. That, those are movies. I understand, but the reality that it's trying to portray there's some power there. But do you understand that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? I think we spend too much time fretting and worrying and freaking out about the devil and what he can and can't do and not enough time going to the one who's already said, I've got the devil where I want him. I'm going to put him in a cage for a thousand years and he can't do nothing about it. And when I let him out, I'm just going to poof it up like a bunch of fire and I'm going to put him in hell for eternity. Why do we not go to him instead of sitting here saying, oh my goodness, the devil's going to get this and he's going to do that. Why do we not go to the one, the lamb who was slain, the lamb who is in control, the one who's coming back in control of the universe? Why can we not come to him? Do not be deceived. The devil is not in control. Our Lord is. But at the end of it all, there's only one person that matters. Would you look with me in verse 11? John sees a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. In the end, it's only God Almighty, Yahweh, Jehovah God, that is the only one that matters in all the world they will not want to be in front of him. I remember when I, was, when I was at home with mom and daddy, and I'd get in trouble, and my mama would say those dreaded words, you just wait till your daddy gets home. I never wanted that man to come home. I wanted him to stay away as long and as far as he could possibly stay, because I knew when he got home, I was in for it. And if I could do, I would do exactly what the heavens and the earth wanted to do here. When he showed up, I'd fly away. I'd run as fast as I could, if I could have. Because I knew that my daddy's judgment was going to stand, and it was going to hurt. <laughs> and I was going to be sorry, real sorry, that I did what I did. I knew that was going to be the way it was. But the problem here in this, this day, just like it was when I was in my home, there was no escaping. Everyone, he says in verse 12, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Everyone had to stand before him. Where they are, their location doesn't matter. It talks about in this passage how even they get them out of the sea and they, those that are in hell, I mean, get, they get them everywhere. There's nowhere. You, you say, well, I've already died. Nope, that's, you, you get up here too. Oh, I was a really important person on the earth. No, nope, you get up here too. Oh, I'm really insignificant. Nobody, nobody knows me. Nobody cares about me. Nope, you get up here too. It doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter their, their position in life, their lot in life. And as I said, some are just going to wish, you know what, I just wish I could die. But look at verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. In verse 13, death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. You say, oh, I just wish I could die. Well, if you die, you're just going to get right back here. You're right here. There's no escaping. Death itself is not even escaped from being judged by God Almighty. What I need you to see in this particular part of the passage, verses 11 through the end, is that there are really only two groups. There's really only two outcomes. 
There's not a third, fourth, fifth. There's only two. There are the followers of the Lamb. They're not really addressed here in verses 11 through 15. They're not here. We've already seen them in chapter 19. They're on horses riding behind the Lamb. Those people followed after the Lamb. Their judgment had already been passed down. It's at a place called Calvary. Jesus Christ hung between heaven and earth with every sin that the followers of the Lamb would ever have, ever did, ever going to do, would be found in Jesus. And that great judge, the one from whom heaven and earth wanted to fly away, he pours out every ounce of his wrath on his son. Prophet Isaiah says that it pleased God to please God to bruise him, to crush him, to destroy him. It pleased God. He did that. And the Lamb's followers know they are. And you see in chapter 19, they're robed in white garments. The Bible even says that that garment is their righteousness. If they were to be yanked out of the, off those horses and put before God Almighty at this moment, which the Bible doesn't say that they will be, but I'm saying were that to happen, they were to be put there and God were to judge them, he'd have to find them not guilty. He'd have to find them righteous because they're not robed in their own righteousness. They're not standing there representing themselves. They're standing there enrobed in Jesus Christ himself. That's the followers of Jesus. Then there's the followers of the devil. There's only two groups, remember? Followers of the Lamb and followers of the devil. The followers of the devil, we see here in verses, verse 10, the devil was cast into the lake of fire along with the beast and the false prophet. Death and hell, in verse 14, are cast into the lake of fire. In verse 15, and whosoever was not found in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. Do you know what happened, was going to happen to the followers of the devil? They're going to join their king. They're going to be tortured right along with him. They're going to be tormented right along with him because their names are not found, as it says in verse 15, their names are not found in this book of life. Because you see, the distinction between the two groups is one person, and his name is Jesus. Because if you do not have the Son, you do not have life. Not only in this life, but in the next. You do not have life. Without the Son, you do not have life. And what's going to happen to you if you are not in Jesus, if Jesus is not your Savior, if your book, your name is not found in that book of life, you will be cast into eternal torment. Cast, thrown, hurled, no hesitation. You will be put there directly. There will be no appeals process. There will be no begging for mercy. There will be no hope. There will be no help. All grace, all mercy will have been expended at this point. If you ever find yourself standing and you go back and you say, I remember when I was reading in, Je in Revelation chapter 20, verses uh, 11 through 15, that, that scene, it seems like the one I'm in right now. If that's where you find yourself, you might as well hang it up, buddy. Your next step is to be cast into the lake of fire. This is, when we talk about hellfire and brimstone, this is what we're talking about. This is that point where there's an end of the line. There's no more hope. It's over because all of your life you have leaned on your economic system, your political system, your religious systems, and you have not understood that there is one who will defeat all of that and Satan himself. And you have not found yourself in the blood 
the blood of the Lamb, find yourself in his book. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the Son of God. You may say, well, Matthew, I'd like to have my name in that book so I don't have to be there. I want you to have your name in that book. The only way that I know how to tell you, based on what the Bible tells us, is to trust Jesus Christ for your salvation. To go to him and say, I have no reason, no right to ask for this, but I'm coming to you because you promised that if I would believe on you, you would save. You'll come to him and say, just mercy, please. Today, there is mercy. Today, there is grace. Right now, there is mercy. Right now, there is grace. And he even said in 2 Peter that he would not want any to perish. He doesn't want you to be in this line. He wants your name in that book. Call out to him. Cry out to him now, and you can have the Son. Do not be deceived. There is no other hope or help in the next life outside of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, do not be deceived. The end is near, and you should worry. Well, Matthew, I'm supposed to be, help me feel better. I just want to tell you, you should worry. Don't worry because Trump is going to be winning or losing. Don't worry about that. Don't worry because the markets are going to tank. They might or they might not. Don't worry because churches are falling away, and there are many that are. Don't worry because there are riots in the street or will be. There have been and probably will be again. The cold hard truth is this is what you need to worry about. It's not going to work out in the end. If you're on the wrong side of eternity, it's not going to work out. If you're aligned with the enemy, it's not going to work out. If you've been deceived by Satan, it's not going to work out. If your name is not written in that book, it's not going to work out. The good news is there is time. You, can live in, you will live in heaven or hell for eternity, but if you will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you can be saved. I need to close with a word to the Christians that are in my, under my hearing. I want you to be reminded that Jesus is your hope. Not the economic systems, not the political systems, not the financial systems. This next presidential cycle, you may go your way, it may not. That's not your hope. By the way, if it is your hope, you and I are both men and women most miserable. That is not your hope. Your hope is in Jesus. Those systems are going down. Those systems will fail. Those systems will fade away. But I want you to see that Jesus is your hope. Jesus is your master. The devil's not the one that's got any control over you. Jesus is the one. He's going to take this world down, take this Satan down. And Jesus is the hope of the world. I think we need to quit worrying so much about what people think about us. Quit worrying so much about well, half of what we worry about, to be honest with you. Focus more on the fact that this thing's coming to an end. Some of us have, have loved ones that we care about. Are their names in, those book, in that book? Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast 
from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.